Hi, I'm Eva Bloom-Dumonté from Privacy International. In 2018, I met with transgender activists in the Philippines to discuss the importance of the right to privacy for this podcast. This month, we're launching new work on trans identity and the impact that ID laws in different countries have on trans people's lives. So we thought it would be a great time to reshare this conversation we had with Naomi Fontanos and A.R. Arkan in Manila. Hello and welcome to the Privacy International podcast. Privacy International is an NGO that promotes and advocates for the right to privacy worldwide through research, litigation and campaigning with other NGOs around the world. My name is Eva Blum-Dumonté. I'm a researcher at Privacy International and I will be hosting a series of podcasts on gender and privacy. Today I'm taking you to Manila in the Philippines, where I'm meeting with two leading figures of the transgender right movements to discuss what the right to privacy means for trans people in the Philippines. So with no further ado, I have the great pleasure to introduce you to Naomi Fontanos, Executive Director of Genda Filipinas, an organization that defends trans rights in the Philippines. Hello, Eva. Mabuhay and welcome to the Philippines. And A.R. Arkan, founder of the pioneer Filipino transgender men movement. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to you both. Naomi, I'd like to start this discussion with you because you work, among other things, on defending the right to privacy for the trans community with Genda Filipinas. So how would you describe the role privacy plays in the life of trans people in the Philippines? Well, I would say that to many trans people in the Philippines, privacy is a very, very important thing. Because in the Philippines, particularly for trans women, um, we always say that trans women are more visible than trans men in our society because trans women are ubiquitous. You can see them in malls, you can see them working in offices, you can see them everywhere. And really, a lot of Filipinos can also tell if there is a trans woman in their company. And so there's nothing more important to a trans person than not to be seen as a trans person. Yeah, because a lot of trans people who are trying to just survive in their daily lives, we're not really focused on our gender as trans people, but our concerns as people um, as we struggle to earn a living, to provide for our families, to be who we are and, you know, to be able to contribute um, in society. And managing your identity mm. as, a, as a person. As yes, to, yes. More to... than a, more as a citizen of the society, more yeah. as a citizen of the Philippines than yeah. as a trans person. But of course, we cannot separate our identity from our lives. And obviously, uh, Naomi mentioned the question of uh, trans men versus trans women. And what has been your experience as a, as a trans man with uh, the right to privacy? I guess I'll, I'll have a more privileged answer than what Naomi mentioned. Because as a transgender man in my country, in the Philippines, we pass the binary standards. So you can't really tell if one is a trans masculine guy transmasculine person so since we do pass the standards of the society it's easy to live quietly it's just that that is not what our legal documents say 
I guess we'll talk a bit later on about the, the plans for the national ID system, but actually maybe you can talk a little bit mm-hmm. already what you're touching on, of the fact that in the Philippines, mm-hmm. well, gender change is not recognized as part of the ID system, right? So you can't change your gender on your ID, is that right? Yes, that is correct. No, you cannot. There is a way to amend, but they specifically amended it so that trans people cannot access that specific part of the law. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's actually a law in the Philippines that allows people to change their name and their gender marker, but only if it's a result of what they call a clerical error. Mm-hmm. So it's like a human error that these entries in your birth certificate were entered by a person incorrectly. And so the law will allow you to to change it. Yeah, but there are only like a limited number of reasons for people to be able to change their names and change in gender does not cover trans people. But it's still allowed. But it doesn't cover trans people. So a trans yeah. person cannot ask for their gender yes. to be yeah. to be changed. Yeah. So for example, we have had cases of like ordinary Filipino citizens whose gender markers were incorrectly entered into their birth certificates. Mm-hmm. So clearly they were male, clearly they're female. So the law allowed them to change their gender markers, just mm-hmm. you know, for for their legal documents to be corrected. But the wording of the law specifically states that it will not cover people who've undergone like a sex change. Yeah. And so we were all shocked when this law came to pass because we said, oh, sex change, there's no such thing. Yeah. To the average Filipinos, they, what, they understand this process as a sex transplant where like a full set of healthy genitals are transferred from one body to another. So we've been trying, as part of our advocacy work in the trans movement in the Philippines, to disabuse people of that notion because it's completely impossible for that to be done like it's impossible for a medical practitioner to transplant one set of genitals to another person's body yeah i'm assuming that the transgender right movements people are demanding to be able to change their gender on their ids right yes i mean we've been advocating for that ever since both of our organizations have been founded so that has always been part of our call in the trans movement in the philippines to have legal gender recognition for trans people because it's very, very important in terms of um, accessing other civil, political, economic, and cultural rights in our country. I've always maintained as a trans advocate that the discrimination that trans people exist begins with their IDs. Yeah. yeah. Because it creates a domino effect on trans people's lives. For example, if a trans person applies for a job and then the gender and name in their ID do not match their social gender presentation or, or their gender presentation, then most likely they will be denied of a job. And so everything goes downhill from that. Because if a trans person does not have a job, the trans person will be part of the statistics yeah. for poor people in this country. And if you're poor, you cannot access health care. If you don't have health, then you'll get sick. And then the quality of your life, it really deteriorates yeah. yeah just because you're a trans person who happens to have an ID that doesn't whose information does not match your gender presentation so it's very important that legal gender recognition is something that's yeah. accessible to Filipino trans people 
At Privacy International, when we have noticed in many countries, people are expected to provide a form of ID in order to access healthcare. And I know you've been working AR quite a lot on uh, healthcare issues. And I was wondering what, what has been your experience in the Philippines with healthcare and uh, this ID system that uh, Naomi is referring to. Okay, I can only mention how TransHealth is accessed in Manila because mm-hmm. it's going to be worse situation outside of Manila. Mm-hmm. So in Manila, well, I'm still treated as F. So we put that, you know, during the intake So I'm still recognized as female. So I'm going to be, usually I'm going to be assigned a female doctor and I'm going to be treated as female, like being called my birth name, being addressed as she and her, that usually and most often that causes dysphoria. So I've heard this a lot from the community that from the repeated experience of this, they just rather don't go to hospitals like don't go to those spaces now that causes them dysphoria uh, for trans health it's getting better there are already existing trans focused clinics which recently established just like last year Similarly to what AR said, a lot of trans women in the Philippines experience a violation of their privacy, particularly in the healthcare um, sphere. Because when a trans woman is, for example, admitted to a hospital for whatever reason, and then the medical uh, practitioners who face her um, learn that apparently she has a male gender marker in her ID and that She, uh, she she has a male name in her legal documents, then the trans woman will automatically be um, assigned to a male ward against the trans woman's wishes, which is also you know contradictory to her gender identity and her gender expression. So instead of enabling well-being in the medical system for trans people so that you know, they can access the highest standard of health. What happens is a lot of trans women experience more grief, more misery when they submit themselves into the medical system because it's just unable to respond to, you know, their needs as mm-hmm. as trans women, particularly when it comes to their gender identity. And, you know, the medical field is also sometimes very reliant on psychopathological notions about what it means to be trans. And so if you're a trans person who is in a hospital and you start asserting your identity and you say that I identify as a woman and I want you to treat me as a woman, most likely you will think, oh, she's crazy. She's like bonkers. So... Mm-hmm. You know, oh, this person is bonkers or, you know, sick in the head. So Will not be treated seriously. Exactly. So just don't mind this person. Treat this person as male, etc. And so, you know, that causes very bad experiences for a lot of trans people. And, you know, um, even if you don't have concrete research from the trans movement um, around trans health issues in the Philippines, just anecdotally from our friends and from the members of our organization, we can tell you that a lot of trans people avoid seeing medical Some, practitioners. Yeah. Because, primarily because of that, because a lot of trans people, they don't want to out themselves as trans. Because once they out themselves as trans, a medical practitioner, then they're more vulnerable to discrimination. Because the medical practitioner most likely will make a comment about their gender identity, make a comment about their sexuality, and then it will end up that you know the trans person will not be able to access medical care that is of equal quality to like an average 
Filipinos able to. So it's really, really crazy. You know, I've we have so many trans people, for example, who we've known, um, who've acquired urinary tract infections because in many places where they work, they're not allowed to access the facilities of the gender that they identify as. Yeah. And so they end up having urinary tract problems because they keep on holding their pee and, you know, they step out of their offices in order to access toilets. Yeah, so it's a situation where your identity always forced you to have second thoughts on mm -hmm. things like going to the toilet or accessing healthcare where people would normally access it without thinking about it. Exactly, twice. without yeah, yeah, having second thoughts mm -hmm. about it, right? But for a trans person, these things are like always weighing on our heads, over our heads, right? So it's just really, really, really hard, right? And so when you have issues about accessing toilets that, you know, capture the public's imagination and people fixate on that, <laughs> just ridiculous because people are fixating on people's genitalias when in mm -hmm. fact there are larger than life issues that we're all facing like, you know, healthcare and employment and privacy as, as trans people. Obviously, one of the big laws in the Philippines that was passed recently is around the new ID system. Yes. yes. And so I'd like to talk a little bit more about this. Can you tell us kind of the, what the situation is? Because I think it hasn't been implemented yet. The law yes. has been voted, but the new ID system hasn't been implemented yet. So can you tell us a little bit more about the context? And yeah. Well, I already studied this, so maybe Eric can um, tell you more about that. But um, we've seen that a lot of administrations in the past, including this one, have attempted to institute a national ID system. And only this government has been able to successfully pass a law in regard to that. But basically, this law will ask Filipinos to personally register all their personal information um, in one centralized database, which is the Philippine City Six Authority, to be able to be issued an ID that will now be considered like the one ID that trumps all other IDs. It's like the ID to rule them all, <laughs> like in the Lord of the Rings. There was one ring to rule them all. In our case, we have a one ID to rule all IDs. So it trumps your passport, it trumps your social security ID, it trumps your voter's ID, it trumps your postal ID, trumps your other IDs. So it will be like considered the official ID for every citizen in this country. And it will ask for your bona fide information from your name to your last name to your gender to your blood type. Is there any it's biometrics? Uh, and it will also I, collect biometric information from you. I, I, I didn't check what kind of information they will be getting. But that's really one question I have is why didn't they involve the LGBT community in the consultation? Because to be honest, I heard about this, the passing of this law just a week ago. <laughs> it's already a law. Yeah. And yeah, it's already yeah. going to be implemented in December. So yeah. what's going to happen with, especially with the trans people who will try to get that ID is that with the absence of the legal gender recognition, it's going to be an added burden to us, you know, getting another ID with the gender marker and the name that we don't identify with. Can you tell us more, actually, about this added burden and wh what the difference will be for trans people with this new, as you said, like the mother of all IDs, this <laughs> ID that trumps them all? Because it's going to be the national ID. Like, I I'm not sure, are they going to assign us a number? Or, um, 
I haven't read yeah, it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There will be like a special number like for every ID that they will issue to yeah. you. So, and so it's like locking down your identity as a citizen. So and this getting is your number. And mm-hmm. then all of your bona fide information will be stored in a centralized database. Mm-hmm. And then it will also collect biometric information from you. But the government has not explained properly yes, what it will use the biometric mm-hmm. information for. It will even what collect it what, what your blood type is. Yeah. And then my concern actually as a trans advocate is in the law, they actually explicitly state that through the law, the Philippine Statistics Authority will be able to keep a record of your transactions. Every time you use your ID, yeah, it will be... A record of it, your financial transactions? No, a record of transactions where you okay. use the national ID. So every time you use it for a personal, professional, or whatever um, reason for any transaction that you make, yeah, a record of it will be yeah. will be put into your sort of file in the national ID system. So for example, if you enroll in a certain school, that information will be put under your name in the database. And then if you decide to get married, and then if you, you will have to use the national ID to prove your identity, then it will be recorded. So what we're saying is when the government starts collecting that much amount of information about its citizens, it's really making our citizens vulnerable to surveillance. Yeah. Right? Because... Mm -hmm. Why does the government need to know why, why, everything why that we are doing it? as private citizens? Exactly. Right? And f- to trans people, what is the, for me, um, the biggest, my, my biggest issue with the national ID is, as I already mentioned, without legal gender recognition for us, it's like the national ID system traps us into this identity that we no longer identify with, right? And so there's less room for us to identify ourselves in whatever gender that to identify with. In trans activism, we always say that the government's right to identify its citizens in terms of whatever reason, like gender, economic status, etc., ends where their own citizens' right to identify themselves begins. Begins. Uh-huh. Right. And this law does not balance that or this law does not embody that instead where is the plus exactly where is the benefit of getting that information like in other countries the national ids there is a plus for getting that id for example in thailand you're gonna get uh it's it's added uh, like health insurance it's it's one way to access health or in, in in malaysia it can be used as other stuff like as a driver's license or it can be used as a financial ID or like a document like for like financial transactions but what's right? this for like they, they didn't specify that well, what's this gonna be and who who's gonna you know who's gonna handle the database and is it really secure <laughs> like banks are getting hacked so what's the security that this will be safer yeah. our information will be safer huh? and I'm pretty sure a lot of um, our trans brothers and sister will, sisters will experience discrimination once they at- try to apply for this ID because a lot of official IDs require trans people for example to resemble like, yeah. the gender that they've been assigned to at birth that for example in, in my passport mm. when they asked me to have my photo taken they asked me to like tie my hair yeah. so that it's not loose as you see it now and then I have to make sure that my ears are out yeah, yeah. meaning I have to approximate 
maleness at least in my photo in the passport and i think the same thing same thing with trans men trans, with, uh, same thing with, with the trans national men. ID, id system right mm-hmm. yeah well so i can mention too that, that oh yeah same thing with trans men we needed to shave it's just that i think i'm i'm luckier that i am in manila and people are exposed to celebrities the transgender celebrities so mm-hmm. they sort of let it pass They're more familiar yeah yeah but from the communities outside of manila things are worse Like they needed to shave, they needed to look female. Trans men needed to look female yeah. to be able to apply for the passport on the day of their appointment. Mm. So if they don't shave, they miss the appointment day. Yeah. And so it's going to open up a whole lot of craziness again, right? Because this ID particularly has a marker for gender, Right, and so it's really in the implementation of it that a lot of trans people will be affected because you know people will just keep on insisting that well this is the gender that's going to appear on this ID, and so you should appear like this gender. They're going to tell you that's that. another thing I want to question: what is the gender marker for? Why why is it used in a national ID? Exactly when it's I mean to something that health? they don't have to know, right? Or they yeah. they don't have something to, private. Well, they can actually collect that information and put it in the database, but it doesn't have to appear on the ID itself. Yes. Right, because yes. we have IDs like that that mm-hmm. um, actually do not show the sure. gender marker. For example, our voters' ID. I was going to ask yeah. because last time we spoke, Naomi, I think you were talking, for example, about loyalty cards in shops. How do you navigate your identity now at the moment, as long as the uh, national ID system hasn't been implemented? So yeah. you're talking about voters' ID. Yeah. To a lot of trans people in the Philippines, you actually find you know workarounds when it comes to IDs because you know IDs are. A burden to us, like it's a burden for us to be asked to show it to someone because it contains private information, and most of the time it contains private information that you don't want to share to other people, like your birth assigned mm-hmm. name and your birth assigned sex. Because, for example, AR and I are lucky in because we're able to pass as the gender that we identify as when we move out in the world, right? So I'm pretty sure that, you know, AR will not get misgendered. AR is addressed as male and I never get misgendered as well. I'm always addressed as ma'am, as miss, as as a woman, as female. But it's only when I am asked to present my ID that then I will be forced to out myself. And it yeah. puts me in a vulnerable position. So a lot of trans people like me, I found a way around that. So for example, um, in my all my shopping cards, I write down my preferred name and my preferred gender. And I'm able to do that because the system is not perfect and people just take for granted these things when you sign up for them. Yeah. Right? And most of the time, it's also a matter of, you know, just being able to bullshit your way through it. <laughs> like, if I apply for a loyalty card or for a shopping card and then I say, I'm, I'm Naomi Fontanas and I'm female and people just say, okay, Yeah. We accept that because it's how I look, right? With the national ID system, a lot of trans people will not be able to do that anymore because the national ID will be the best way for these establishments to, ver- to verify your bona fide information. Unlike before, um, without the national ID system, trans people can actually comfortably like fake mm-hmm. their IDs, not really for illegal purposes, but you know, just for the sake of comfort. Mm-hmm. As as people living in the world, you know, to be able to shop in peace, to be able to do your groceries in peace. Right now, it's going to be more difficult because the national ID is already in place. And it's also, I'm not sure what exactly the law wants to do because we've been told that it's not mandatory. So you can actually opt as a citizen not to apply for an ID. But the question is, 
will that put you at an advantage or a disadvantage? Well, obviously, the answer is the latter, right? It will put you at mm -hmm. a disadvantage because, you know, if there are so many people with the national ID and you're the only one without it, then it actually calls attention to yourself. Why does this person not have a national ID? Yeah. When so many others have it, right? And so, as a member of the LGBTIQ community, to be able not to call attention to your, yourself, you'll just be forced to apply for it. And then... Make yourself vulnerable to surveillance. Make yourself vulnerable to privacy violations. And again, I'm going to put stress on the fact that us living in Manila, we have an easier way around things, even as trans. Like, we have the challenges, but it's going to be harder for people outside of Manila, in the provinces, you know. It's going to be more, I mean, challenging for them with this national ID, you know, more more discrimination they're going to be exposed to stigma of not having the gender marker that you look like. Yeah. You know. So just to conclude this discussion, I was wondering what do you hope will be the next steps for the right to privacy for trans people in the Philippines? Next step. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I think this is the right time that we really talk about privacy in the Philippines because this is something that we overlook. We trust Western technologies that much that we just give away our information in the exchange of getting access to a mobile application, for example. So we just click yes, you know, to every EULA <laughs> just to access that service, you know. But it's very timely that we talk about this now, that the government is starting to want to get our information, our personal information, and let's get involved in the conversation, mm -hmm. not just, you know, let it happen without us being consulted because it's our data. And it's social media is one thing where, well, I'd say for the trans people, one thing where they can learn about their identities. And like, like it's a big part of the advocacy of social media and internet. Yeah, um, I was saying earlier, trans women are more visible in the Philippines mm -hmm. than trans men, and that's only a historical accident. But because of our visibility, it makes us actually more vulnerable to being discriminated upon and experiencing violence mm -hmm. and different violences in, in public. And so it's as if our visibility is our burden. And a lot of trans people have internalized that, that just because we're visible, we don't have a right to be private about who we are as people. Just because, you know, people can tell that we are trans, that people know we are trans women. But what I want to tell people is that, no, of course I have a right to privacy. It's part of this whole idea that just because you're trans, you're willing to give up all your other rights because the larger society has, you know, shown you that this is the only way for you as a trans person. You know, as a trans, mm -hmm. as a trans woman, mm -hmm. for example, um, who's experienced um, employment discrimination, I'm always asked to choose between my gender identity or a good quality of life. And so if I want to have a job, I have to give up my gender identity for work. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of trans people in the Philippines cooperate with their own oppression in order to access rights. And those rights include the right to privacy. A lot of trans people do not think that they actually have a right to be private about who they are. And for me, I think the next step is um, for the trans movement to center the issue of privacy mm -hmm. as an important right to fight for in the right 
our self-determination. That idea. Exactly. That privacy is our right. Exactly. Because we've already forgotten it after the prolonged period of, you know, I'm just being fighting, resilient. Exactly. And, and just fighting uh, to be who you are. Mm-hmm. You think that this is the way things are for trans people. We just mm-hmm. have no right to be private about our lives. Right. And so what we want to do now is really to center this idea that our rights are connected to each other and we have as much right to the freedom of expression, to the right to work, to the right to self-determination as we have the right to privacy. But I'm also happy that AR um, spoke about um, the connection between our online and offline lives because increasingly, as we live in the 21st century, (laughs) it's as if there's no such thing as offline anymore. I mean, even when we're (laughs) offline and I'm in bed and I'm trying to get some sleep, I'm online because my phone is right behind me. Like it's under my head and, you know, it's connected to the internet. And so we are online all the time and our lives are online. We are living our lives online. And to a lot of trans people in the movement who have found community themselves, strength, camaraderie, um, solidarity, the internet is so important. And, you know, being able to advocate online is also, Mm -hmm. you know, something that's become center central mm-hmm. to to our work now as as activists mm-hmm. and so if we have trans people who want to be anonymous they should have the right to be anonymous and people should not Force need them. to ask them to mm-hmm. out themselves as trans you know and to tell the world that they're trans i mean if they want to remain anonymous online not to be marked as trans it's their right as well right and if trans people want to erase parts of their past online, then they should be able to do that and, you know, be able to access the right to be anonymous, the right to be forgotten, and the right to be treated with dignity as a full human being, both offline and online, as the gender that you say you are, with the name that you prefer. So that was Naomi Fontanos from Ghana, Filipinas, and A.R. Archons from the Pioneer Filipino Transgender Men Movement. Thank you to you both. You've been listening to the Gender and Privacy series of the Privacy International podcast, presented by Eva Blumjimonte. To find out more about issues around gender and privacy, do listen to the other episodes of this series and check out our website, www.privacyinternational.org, where you'll find all our work on the topic. You can also follow us on Twitter at PrivacyInt, and you can subscribe to our mailing list, which also has updates about our gender work at action.privacyinternational.org. Thank you for listening. Music courtesy of Glossboy, licensed under Creative Commons. The podcast was produced by Max Bernal for Privacy International. Hi, this is Caitlin, just popping in to say hello and to give you a quick update on the technology bill. I think with this podcast, we've hit three podcasts in three weeks, which is a veritable flood of content as compared to the end of 2020 and our normal schedule of every second Friday which is the schedule we'll be returning to. So we'll be back on the 29th to give you the lowdown on our victory in the UK High Court on general warrants, barring any accidents or disasters. Thanks for listening and see you then.